All right, Jim, so let's uh, talk about the Wild team that scored 10 goals yesterday, seven of them in the third period. They beat Vancouver 10-7. to Vancouver, best record in the Western Conference. How did the Wild pull this off? I watched, and I have no idea. Uh, it was I've never seen an NHL game like that, never. Uh, that was amazing. Uh, it looked like, I mean, Vancouver was up 5-2, to two and just, and the Wild, actually, here's the amazing thing. Wild scored 10 goals, and in the first period, they probably should have scored like four or five goals, and they only got one. I mean, they, and they dominated play early. They had a five on three. They were peppering the net. They were missing the net. Uh, and it looked like one of those games at the end where you say, God, he had a chance to score 10 goals, and he scored two. And then they go crazy. Of course, you know, empty netters help that. But still, um, the blitz, you know, in the second period, and then early, especially early in the third period, again, against a very good team, uh, I'm, it was it was kind of crazy. It just became a feeding frenzy. And I think, you know, part of it is psychology. I mean, it's, it's hard to score a goal in the NHL. When you start seeing the puck go in the net, you probably relax and just pick a spot instead of tensing up the way so many NHL players do. Uh, Kaprizov was, Ek, Ek was excellent. Kaprizov was excellent. Boldy was good. Um, you know, it, it was just a remarkable performance. So... They they pulled this off and they they have had this really hot stretch here. Uh, I know they did have that one overtime loss against Buffalo on Saturday, but now they're just two points out of a playoff spot. It almost feels like we've seen this something similar from the Wild before, where they've had these hot stretches that makes them from a team that's not going to be a playoff team to a team that could be a playoff team. Yeah, I thought it looked pretty hopeless a couple of weeks ago, and now they're right there, uh, two points out of the second wild card. Basically, it's a five-team race for one spot. And in that race, they are tied for second, two points behind with 17 games left. They're also the only team that isn't, you know, they're only the only team in the wild card race that has won seven of their last 10. So they are making up ground. They are on a good, long, hot streak here. Um, and now they go to Winnipeg today, and, you know, they're just not in a position where they can have a letdown. Um, and Winnipeg's a tough, physical, good defensive team. So it'll be interesting to see how today goes. Uh, but you will say, you know, hey, I will say this, uh, that that top line that they put together, Kaprizov, uh, Erickson Eck, and Boldy, they've played great together. And and when you put your best scorers together, they better play great. Otherwise, your other, you know, you're, you're, if they get shut down, if they're not as productive as they should be, you're not going to get as much, you're not going to get enough out of your other lines. But they have been incredible together. Uh, Kaprizov had another great game yesterday. How about Joel Erickson Eck? I mean, during this stretch, he seems like he's really been uh, upping his point totals. He's really been one of their best players, one of the most important players for about three years now. Uh, excellent in face-offs, uh, very good two-way player, can score, uh, can pass, defends, uh, plays a, you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's big enough to go into the corner and make an impact. He plays hard. Uh, he's just a good all-around player. Wanted to bring up your article in the Star Tribune about uh, the Gopher men's basketball team making a run at March Madness. What do you think they got to do to get there? Well, they got six games left, and if they win four of them, I think they're in. You know, if you go 11 and 9 in the Big Ten, I think you're a tournament team. Uh, so if they win their three home games, which are all against, you know, teams they probably should beat, and if they win at Nebraska, they're in, I think. Um, and then they have tough ones, you know, at Illinois is going to be very tough and at Northwestern the last game of the season is going to be tough. Although, you know, it's not like Northwestern's unbeatable, but they are having a good season. So, you know, there's a clear path to getting four more wins, getting to 11 and nine and probably getting into the tournament. Now, and I, you know, what I point out in my piece is 
This is a team that went two and seventeen in the Big Ten last year, then lost their number one recruit to Louisville, Evans, and then lost maybe their first or second best player, Jameson Battle, to another conference team, uh, Ohio State. It looked pretty hopeless, you know. And somehow they've got no point here where they actually have a shot at the NCAA tournament. I just want to—I think people should realize it's already this is already an achievement to get to this point. Do you give Ben Johnson a lot of credit here? Well, you have to. I mean, in college sports, the coach is the dominant figure, and he—that the coach deserves most of the blame and most of the, most of the credit when you know they just they lead recruiting, they lead fundraising, they set schemes they coach the games they do the public outreach that are face of the program i mean they're everything uh so you know you have to give the credit to ben and his staff and and you know another thing i point out is we've seen individual players get better over the course of the season Farrell Payne just had a breakout in february uh carrington went through personal you know some some mental health issues didn't shoot it well early and he comes back and he's become kind of a defensive stopper um, you see uh, Christie really developing into going from being a guy who was kind of a bench player uh, as a freshman to being really probably one of the better players in the Big Ten. I mean, he's just a really nice player. He's going to have a really good career here. Um, you see Elijah Mitchell fit in perfectly for what they want, a pass-first point guard. Um, uh, I'm sorry, Elijah Hawkins. And Mike Mitchell's had a nice season. So, you know, he, he brought in the right transfers. He's getting role players like Parker Fox to, to to contribute. This does look to me like a really good coaching job. How is the Big Ten regarded amongst the rest of the nation uh, in basketball? In past years, we've seen the Big Ten get, what, seven, eight teams. It, just based on projections, it looks like the expectation is less this time around. I guess, but we don't really, this is my problem with, you know, any college sport that isn't decided on the on the field on the court. I mean, we don't know. We're we're talking about our perception of perceptions of people who aren't making their perceptions known publicly and are going to go in a private room at the end of the season and make decisions. We just yeah, we have precedent we can talk about, but we don't really know what they think or what they're going to do. Uh, this is not as strong a conference this year as most years. Purdue is obviously very good, and they have other good teams. But I think when Michigan State, Michigan, you know, Indiana aren't powerhouses, it does does knock down the prestige of the of the uh, conference a little bit. But still, still a good, deep, competitive conference. Jim, what do you think about the the, the different analytics that help determine you know whether teams are worthy of making it to the tournament? Uh, what the net ranking, the Ken Palm, and all these different kind of ways to rank teams based on how they've done against who and their strength to schedule and all that kind of stuff? I think they're like all analytics. They're very useful if used with intelligence and context. It's good. You know, they're all really worthwhile, uh, intelligent ways to try to figure out whether, you know, two teams on different ends of the country that never played each other, which one is more deserving? I think you have to have analytics in place. Um, and, but you also need to look, is deep, you know, analytics are at their best when you look deeply into them and say, okay, well, what does this mean? Okay, this is where the rating is. How do they get to the, I mean, you, ha- you have to examine context, but I think a lot of the analytics have context built in. So, yeah, I mean, I'd much rather have, the people making the final decision looking at all the analytics than just going with some kind of a gut feeling. 
Jim, your thoughts on the Timberwolves uh, extending the contract to point guard Mike Conley? Uh, great move. They now have their starting five who lead the West this year, uh, locked up for you know two, three more years. Conley is an essential player to this team. He is their leader. Uh, he is their veteran. He is, you know, their wise guy, wise man in the locker room. Uh, he is great for Finch. He's great for Gobert. Uh, he's great for Anthony Edwards. He's you know, Towns loves him. He just, he's just an ideal fit. He's playing really well. You know, you can see him maybe playing a few less minutes, but he's also in, in incredible shape. He takes great care of himself. Um, but you know, I think if they, you have a backup point guard like Morris or somebody else, uh, that's not really a problem. Uh, he, he just, you know, I, I just love the fact they're bringing him back. I think they that they know better than anybody what his value is, and they they worked hard to get this done. No concerns about his age. Oh, well, I mean, again, you can you can limit his minutes. Uh, you can pick your spots for him. You, they will need to have a good solid backup point guard in future years. Uh, but, you know, people were concerned about his age when he came here, and he's been phenomenal for them. So I just think I, I think they made the right move. Jim, the Twins are getting set. Uh, they'll have their first spring training game against the Pirates on Saturday. They'll play an exhibition game against the Gophers Friday night. Uh, Chris Paddock, going to be an interesting guy to watch. Uh, do we know if he's going to see a lot of time in the spring and – what are you hearing about him and his development, and is he pretty locked into the third or fourth spot? Well, he's right now probably three or four. He has the stuff to be a number two on this staff. Um, he has probably he probably has the best raw stuff of any of the starters. I mean, he came out a second time at John last year and came out of the bullpen and was throwing lights out, just unhittable stuff. Um, now it's different when you're a starter. You need to pace yourself. You need to have more of a pitch mix. But he's a big, strong, uh, physical specimen. Really hard worker. Great arm. They've loved him for a long time. They, they you know, they. Tr- it was sad that they he got hurt right after they traded for him. But they, they specifically sought him out in a trade. They always wanted him. They always thought that, you know, their analytics and their coaching would set him up for great success. Um, so, you know, they're gonna have to keep an eye on the innings. Uh, but. They should have such a good bullpen that there will be nothing wrong with having him dominate for four or five innings and bring in the bullpen. Is there a way to guard against injury? Because I mean, injury has been a big problem for him in his career. The short answer is no. Um, the only way to guard against injury is not to throw hard and not try to, try to maximize your spin rate. And if you do that, you're not very good anyway. So what we've seen in modern baseball is massive number of arm injuries. Why? Because if you don't throw hard enough, to maximize your velocity and spin rate, you're not going to make it anyway. So, you know, the the the, the obvious calculation if you're a talented young pitcher is, I'd rather go through Tommy John surgery and come back and still be throwing 98 than throw 92 and try to try to trick people and never make it out of Double A. Jim uh, Byron Buxton had said yesterday that uh, that he doesn't have any pain in the knee and that he's excited to be out there and he had a first full squad workout. Boy, it sounds great about Byron Buxton. And we haven't heard him say that in a long time. We've heard him talk about managing it. And, and, you know, behind the scenes, Twins people have told me that the amount of pain he's been in, the amount of work he's done before and after games to try to just, you know, be functional has been remarkable. It's almost like been like the old Joe Maurer stories where he would get to the ballpark at noon to do just 
all the treatments he could do just so he could play the game that night. Um, so for him to talk about being pain-free after a winter where the twins basically said, hey, yeah, he's actually pain-free. This It looks like this surgery worked. I mean, there couldn't be a bigger development. There couldn't be a bigger positive development in twins camp than Byron Buxton feeling good. All right, Jim, what do you got in your podcast? Uh, let's see. Full, we're gonna, we took yesterday off. We're going to take start the full slate up again today with the John Krasinski show on the Timberwolves All-Star Weekend. And the road ahead, we'll do the Viking Update show. Uh, Dawn Mitchell has done a great job with her new show. We'll do that later in the week. We have John Millay, Jeff Diamond, Chin Music with Roy Smalley and Lavelle Neal. And everything's at TalkNorth.com or on your favorite podcast app. All right, Jim, thank you. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks, Jeff. It's Jim Suhan, Star Tribune Sports Columnist, joining us every weekday morning at this time. Follow him on Twitter at Suhan Strib. Check out his latest column in the Star Tribune or his podcast at TalkNorth.com. Jim, today is brought to you by the Green Mill in downtown St. Cloud. Next on WJON, World of National News from ABC.